Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. That's exactly right. What a smart health look um, and coach. That's that AppSats for you. We have actually studied partner betrayal. And we understand that it's traumatic. And we understand that all areas of your life have been affected. And that includes your sexuality, of course. You know, I haven't met a partner who didn't on some level wonder if she was not good enough. And of course you're good enough. His sex addiction had nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your looks, your weight, your sexuality, nothing. This was something that got a hold of him and didn't let go. And it played itself out sexually, but it wasn't about your sexual relationship with your husband or if you're a male partner with your wife. Hey, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I'm glad to be back with you. I think there were two weeks where I had to play replays because I just wasn't available. One week I was in Florida. And then the next week, I was training APSAT coaches and clinicians. And so when I miss a radio show, I miss a lot. And I really try not to do that. So if it's a vacation, I'll usually, usually do the show anyway. But I was entertaining 10 guests, and I was helping my sister celebrate her 60th. And um, so I I was really sad to have missed you. Now, I got an interesting email, and it was from a woman that she was asking me lots and lots of questions. So one of the things that I did, turn me up a little bit, one of the things I did was I said, hey, since I got this today, listen to the show, and I'll answer your questions the first 15 minutes. So we'll call her Tammy. Tammy says, I'm emailing you today with questions of how I move forward. My husband is 12 years older than me, and we have been married for seven years. He has a history, and I'm trying to determine if we call this a sex addiction. Over the years, from the time that we've met, he has asked me to do numerous sexual things for him, asking me to take pictures, making videos of masturbation, different sexual um, requests in bed, One very harsh thing I hold inside is that several years ago in his previous marriage, he inappropriately touched his stepdaughter. He continues to say how she has forgiven him and no 
charges were ever pressed. I don't know the details, but just those words make me cringe. His actual, let's see here, his actual daughter won't speak to him anymore. I have always given in to his requests as I am an incredibly passive individual, but finally have built up such anger and resentment, I have withdrawn from him. Just recently, I found that he had been watching porn, and it really hurts me. Well, let's stop right there. She has more to write, but let's just stop there right now. Okay, sex abuse is not necessarily part of sex addiction. It can be if it falls under the heading of exploitation, and exploitation is a type of sex addiction. And exploitation usually occurs when the perpetrator, the addict, exploits another individual. It could be somebody that works for him. It could be a child. It could be somebody who's in a much lesser position than he is. So, first of all, I want to hit the the part where he was accused of molesting his stepdaughter. And it sounds like he's admitting that it happened and that she has forgiven him. There's a big red flag there, but it's not for sex addiction. It's about his impulse control. And I'm wondering how he got, if he got treatment. If so, what did he do? How did he mend things with his stepdaughter? Did he ever mend things with his first wife about that? Did they divorce because of that? Okay, so those are all things you should be able to ask him because we should be able to talk to our spouses about anything. And if you're afraid it'll make them mad or you're afraid that he won't love you anymore, you got some marital issues that need to be pursued in counseling. I'm so glad you're asking me these questions because I want to be a safe place for you. Um, I really believe, Tammy, that Uh, You have to know who to go to to get your questions answered. Now, you said that over the years, he's asked you to do numerous sexual things, uh, and you didn't let me know how you felt about them. I mean, I'm I'm kind of inferring that you didn't necessarily want to take videos of either him masturbating or you masturbating. Um, I'm kind of assuming that you have been uncomfortable about the sexual requests that he's made. Now, you know, I'm a believer that sometimes when a spouse asks you to do something that you're uncomfortable about sexually, you talk to that person and explain why. And they really should work diligently on trying to understand and empathize with you. And if they don't, you got a problem because you got somebody who is so insistent on wanting his needs to get met and not yours that he's putting himself before you. And truly, in a, in a marriage, most of the time, you know, we try to have pretty much equal understanding of each other. Sometimes I do put my husband's needs before my own, but I would not put a need of his above mine if it violated my values. So 
I want to know, does these sexual requests um, interfere with your sense of values? That's what I want to know. Okay. You said you always have given in because you're incredibly passive. But it's built up a lot of anger and resentment. So, again, it sounds like it's something you didn't want to do. Now, it really hurt you that you found out that he was looking at porn. And you you said, I found that he's been watching porn and it really hurts me. And it wasn't just normal porn. I did express to him my concern and fears that what if a police officer shows up at our door? Next, should I include that I'm his fifth marriage? Keep in mind, he's not a mean individual and, in fact, sometimes goes above and beyond to try and make things better by buying me things and take me on vacation. But I feel that that's his way of handling his emotions from knowing that he's done something wrong. Now, I'm not sure what you're talking about when you say it's not normal porn. I'm assuming that it either involves children, it involves force, it involves bestiality, one of those um, pornographies that can be considered illegal in other states. So I need more info there. But if your fear is that the police could come by and confiscate, you know, laptops and arrest him, I'd like to know what kind of porn is he looking at? Okay. And, you know, you say he gives you gifts and takes you on vacations. Well, guess what, Tammy? That's what normal couples are supposed to do. And I sense that you are introverted, shy, passive, and somehow you felt like this is, a, this is really special that he's doing these things with you. So I would get with a counselor that knows how to improve your sense of self, improve that self-esteem, you know, let, allow you to grow stronger. And what happens if you grow stronger? Well, I'll tell you, Tammy. It can, it can provide conflict in the marriage. You know, if he's a man that's used to getting his way and he picks women that are passive and self-doubting and um, insecure, he's probably not going to like the new and improved self-esteem that you've acquired or assertiveness that you've been able to garner. So get ready. I'm not saying it's going to make your marriage better, but it will make you feel better about yourself. So you say, I've tried to express to him that even though it's been a month since I confronted him, I still have so much anger inside me and I can't seem to get to the next stage of healing my body and mind. It's taking a toll on me, and I'm just not feeling well. I don't know what the next step should be. Well, first of all, good job asserting yourself and letting him know how you feel. That's always the first step that couples need to, to um, be able to express themselves. And it's, I'm sure it was really, really difficult for you, so I just want to congratulate you on taking that step. Now, I don't know what you mean, 
but it looks like you had hoped things would be different. And it's been a month later, and there's still so much anger inside of you. I doubt that he's really made very many changes, and you don't know how to heal this pain. Well, my bias and my preference is that you go to the APSATS website, APSATS.org, and you look for a partner-sensitive therapist who can help you to work out many of your own mental health issues. And she or he might even encourage you to work with a coach because coaches are able to see all those positive qualities in you and help you to recognize them in yourself and grow them even greater. But if, if there's not an APSATS uh, coach in your area, you might look for somebody who can do that online. Or start asking around and asking your friends if they have a referral, a counselor that they really liked that helped build up their sense of confidence. You know, I know when I wanted to go to therapy, I was asking people, checking around, asking my boss. You know, I had a very good relationship with my boss, so I didn't mind saying, hey, I really want some therapy. So ask around, get a good referral, or go to the APSATS website and see if there's somebody in your town. Uh, But the important thing to do is not to violate your own sense of values by doing things you're not comfortable doing or being with somebody who perhaps is viewing things that make you feel sick to your stomach, that make you feel uncomfortable, and last but not least, that make you feel angry. And keep us posted. Let us know how you're doing. Um, Sounds like you've been making some headway, but here's my real belief. If you want to change the coupleship and he's not really wanting to change, no, you can do that by working on yourself. What I want you to do is work on yourself because when I talk to coaches and clients and clinicians about how they got through the ordeal of partner betrayal and trauma, what they said to me was one of the best ways that they got through the tough times was by finding their own inner strength. And for that reason alone, I definitely want you to work on yourself. Okay, now we've got a really good show coming up. We have Liza Young, and she is going to be talking about shame and how do partners end up dealing with this natural shame that occurs when sexual addiction has interrupted the relationship. And what is, how is that shame different partner shame than addict shame. And she has studied shame. She is a licensed professional counselor with over 15 years of experience helping individuals, couples, and families deal with their most difficult situations. She's a certified clinical specialist, partner specialist, that is. She's one of us. And 
he helps those who have been sexually betrayed move through their trauma towards healing. She really has a passion for this stuff. So I wanted her to come on the show and talk about shame and also talk about empowerment. So I am so happy that we're going to be working with Liza Young, who is going to help us understand shame. Welcome to the show, Liza. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. Yes, and you're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that's shame, because sexual addiction brings about all types of shame for both the addict and the partner. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this work. Sure. Um, I actually, it's, it's interesting because I've been doing therapy for so many years that I never really thought about this area, you know, this topic. I've done a lot of work with domestic violence victims, and I noticed that sexual betrayal and domestic violence often go hand in hand. And, you know, I began to notice that that is also a separate, sexual betrayal is separate at times from domestic violence. You don't have to have that going on for there to be sexual betrayal, and that it's a great a great need. Um, and so I got information about AppFacts program and just began to learn more about it and became certified. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that I did. I mean, this is, is just so necessary and helpful. Well, it sure is as well as we learn things that we can then apply towards other clients that don't experience betrayal, you know, things about shame and about attachment and and self-esteem. And so I'm going to ask you, shame means a lot of things to a lot of people. What is your definition of shame? Yeah, there there are there are a lot of definitions out there. Uh, simply put, you know, shame is believing I'm not enough. I don't have value. It's a painful feeling of humiliation that hits at that core of our identity, and it's different, right, than guilt. And that guilt says I've I've done something bad, and there's some just conviction around. Oh, I need to I need to do something different. But shame says. I am bad. I am flawed. And that just it just questions your worth and you feel painfully exposed and vulnerable. Okay, and so why is it important to understand shame after having been sexually betrayed? I believe so that you can see it for what it is and not be pulled down by it. And we we begin seeing it for what it is by first giving it a name, which is shame, right, that it's it's what you're experiencing but not what you are. So naming it, becoming, you know, being able to understand it and naming it gives you some distance, which is important to help lessen the intense overwhelm, you know, getting space from it, kind of giving you a different perspective to begin recognizing that it's not you, it's a feeling, and although it's intense, it, it won't overtake you. So I think that's why it's so important to understand. Well, absolutely. And so when a partner has been betrayed, 
why might they automatically feel shame? It's it, That is interesting. That's a good question because you think, well, you haven't done anything wrong, right? It's it's your your partner that did the betraying. So why am I feeling like this? But those in our lives that we love deepest, that we usually look to their opinion of us to measure our worth, that you naturally hold your spouse or your partner's opinion highest, right? And their opinion failed to reflect the worthiness in you when they chose to betray you. And because their Mm -hmm. opinion is, is, you know, our measuring stick, we see it as true. And Obviously, it's not, but that that's, you know, your your worth didn't change. What changed was your partner. But, Carol, as you know, it's, you know, after discovery, it, your mind is flooded with all of these thoughts. Um, you know, why am I not good enough for him? Why does she or he have a, what, what I don't, you know, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Was I not exciting enough in the bedroom? You know, all these these thoughts. Um, that are just naturally self-blaming. So even at the beginning stage, you're turning it inward because you're thinking about their opinion of you and trying to make sense of it. And these are normal thoughts, right? It's just that um, these questions, including how did I not know, right? How did I not catch it or see any red flags? I mean, these all bring that sense of that, that sense of shame as well. And, you know, another reason is also due to the secrecy surrounding sexual betrayal. Um, depending on your partner, you know, they they usually aren't very willing to say, "Yeah, let's just tell everybody." Right? I mean, they they want it to continue to be secret unless they're willing to get help and you know go get help and and share with with someone confidentially, but there's still that, that secrecy. And depending on how you were raised, right, or even your current religious status, you know, if there's condemnation around it, around the subject of, of sex, or if there's never been any talk, right, that it's just kind of this secret thing that we just don't talk about, um, even if you were sexually assaulted before or, you know, all of these things can kind of compound that the intensity of shame. And, um, you know, as I mentioned before, kind of the, the domestic violence victims that, that I worked with, you know, you see that uh-huh. sometimes going hand in hand where a large part of abuse, I think even with addiction, is blame shifting, right? And so if you've endured abuse, you may already feel like everything is your fault, which causes that shame to increase. So it's just it's kind of a lot of different um, things that, yeah, that kind of yeah. bring that, that shame and, on. And you know what else? I really believe that if a partner chooses to stay with her husband, or again, if the, the sex addict is the wife, with his wife, there's a natural shame that occurs because she knows that she thought she would never have put up with what has happened, that she would have held her head high and walked out of that relationship and said, Mm -hmm. I deserve better and I'm not sticking around. And so as a woman 
begins to understand about sex addiction and realizes that it's a compulsion and addiction, she also starts to feel some ambiguity about, is there something wrong with me that I might want to stay and help him through this and get healthy myself and stay together as a couple or as a family? And so they kind exactly. of walk around with that shame too. Yeah. Absolutely. So I got a question yeah. for you. Yeah. Why does the why does the innocent betrayed partner um, why does she not talk to her husband about the shame she feels? Many of my mm. clients will talk to me about it, but when I say, "Well, did you tell him that you don't feel good enough, or that you wondered if it was about your sexuality?" It's almost like they've been hurt so much they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to trust in an open and honest conversation. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, one thing when you were saying that that comes to mind, there's this book called The Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. It's not specific necessarily to the trail trauma, but um, it he describes the felt experience of shame as being exposed when one is not ready to be seen. And there's no way to be ready or prepared for the personal blow that comes with your partner betraying you. Um, it's, it's a very vulnerable space to be in, right? And so I think that because of that very vulnerable space, um, it, it's hard to know what to do with it, who to go to with it. Um, and, and because you're feeling, what have I done wrong? Is this my fault? Let me figure this out so that I can make sure he, we can get better or he stays or he'll like me again. You know, because there are some that, yeah, I mean, it's like I thought that I would just, if this ever happened, I would be out the door right away. You never know until you're in that situation. And, and it, it's just not that easy. And it, you don't go into a relationship thinking, Mm, you know, what do I need to look, unless you've been betrayed before, right? But what do I need to to look out for for him, you know, when he cheats? No, you don't, you don't go into a relationship thinking that. You go in saying, you know, I want to be with this person. No matter what we go through, we're going to work through it. You know, so I think that the place of vulnerability, worrying about what is going to happen now, and even depending on, Carol, what the relationship was like before, it might not have been a very open relationship where communication was easy to come by. Does that make sense? It's not like there could be relationships where they didn't really come to each other for those sort of things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you talked about uh, The Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. You know, he was a master in studying uh, adults who had been through childhoods where there was mm -hmm. alcoholism, drug addiction, neglect, and abuse. And so he knew what trauma was like, and he knew how that trauma created a sense of shame uh, again, not being good enough and also wondering, did you attract this into your life? And one of the things that we tell partners at APSATS, and 
we do this regularly, is that you didn't attract this into your life. This is a club you don't ever, and you never wanted to be a part of. And so now that you are in this special situation, it's really important that you keep yourself safe and work on your sense of self so that you do know what your values are and you can stand up for yourself and you can speak your truth. And when you do things like that, the shame lessens because now you're being authentic, honest, transparent, and you are um, standing up for you, which is always good self-esteem. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so what do you think is the purpose of shame as it relates to the sexual part of betrayal trauma? I believe, you know, and that, that it, it might it might sound weird to kind of talk about okay, why the shame has a purpose, you know, but it does. It's to me, it's protection. It can be used as a way of coping through the trauma by trying to self-preserve. Shame wants to withdraw, isolate, try not to be seen, and if you're not seen, then you can't be hurt, right? So it's too risky to be seen, and shame is. Is, is kind of like, okay, let's pull back and not risk anything. And another book that is so great that um, Dr. Kurt Thompson, he wrote The Soul of Shame, and he says, shame leads us to cloak ourselves with invisibility to prevent further intensification of the emotion. So it's our way of wanting ourselves with further abandonment, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to survive, especially at this beginning point, you're trying to survive and the trauma ignites that part of the brain, the amygdala, that puts us in the survival mode, that fight, flight, or freeze. Shame is usually always a free state, right? Don't be seen, the don't be seen state. And by saying it's my fault instead of this is a horrible situation, it's not my fault, but what can I do to, now to help myself? It prevents you from movement, which can feel risky. So on one hand, that, you know, this is a horrible situation, it's not my fault, what can I do to help myself? That's getting unstuck and moving forward, which is the goal of healing, you know, that forward movement. But if we say it's my fault and we sit in that shame, then it's a helpless state of shutting down for self-protection. So I think that, you know, all of our feelings are parts of us trying to protect that vulnerable part that fears being hurt and rejected again. So, um, yeah, I think that the purpose is, is to self-preservation. Well, I have never heard it explained like that, but that makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Um, and so yeah. if we realize that something that feels so awful like shame can also protect you and be part of self-preservation, it's easier than to deal with that. And um, have you ever heard of Esther Perel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, well, she is great. And she has a 15-minute TED Talk on this uh, a partner's scarlet letter. And the letter, mm. I don't know why she calls it A, but it's about shame. And it's just a wonderful depiction of how women doubt themselves when bad things happen in their marriage. And so mm. 
truly, uh, if you think about the Four Agreements, a book that was written, the Four Agreements to Peruvians is the same as the Ten Commandments to Christians. One of the commandments for the Peruvians is don't take conflict personally. And when people learn that skill of saying, you know what, this was about my husband and his compulsion. It had nothing to do with me. And whether I choose to stay or leave, I'm not going to take on the burden of wondering what I did to contribute to this compulsion. And it's it's a wonderful way for women, especially, who tend to take on the feelings of everybody, um, to say, yeah, I'm not going to take that on. This is about him. It's not about me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm in, in, intrigued now. I want to watch that TED Talk. That's great. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about how do you begin healing from shame, and one way is to change those thoughts and, and not to take things personally and to recognize mm-hmm. that it's about the other person. And Liza, actually, I was talking, I'm talking with women about how do they get to post-traumatic growth. And they all say, every single one of them say, I realized that the conflict and the dilemma we were in as a couple was about his sickness. It wasn't about me. So they were able to detach from his behavior and stand strong in their own sense of identity. So now how do you begin to teach people how to heal from their shame. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a huge piece is, is again, kind of what I mentioned at the beginning is naming it. You know, it's, okay, ideally the one who breaks it fixes it, (laughs) but that's not always the case. So your partner who used to be your source of strength is now your source of pain. And so where do I go? What do I do? And so as I said at the beginning, you know, naming it, that this is shame, this is about him, it's not yours, you know, once you can do that, you name it, you can reframe it. And so one of my favorite ways to start helping the reframe and to gain a different perspective is to use mindfulness. Um, Mindfulness is intentional attention. And so being able to take time, and I know we're all busy, but even just a few minutes in the car on the way to work or a few minutes before bed, taking time to attend to this part of you that is carrying the burden of shame, being curious about it, non-judgmental, you know, um, to sit with yourself, notice the shame noticing the shame instead of being the shame. You know, see what happens in your body when those thoughts of worthlessness come up. Notice what it's like to observe it just as a body sensation. You know, where do you feel it in your body? What does it feel like? Because if you think about it, just as we all want to be heard and validated, you know, doing doing this does that for that part of you that feels not enough. You're, you're noticing it. You're saying, I see you. I see that you're hurt. You've been rejected. You feel abandoned, you know, and I'm here. You know, it's reassuring that part that shame is not who you are, but it is how you're surviving. So shame then, the reframe is, it's a survival resource. 
And so what now, you know, what I usually do in therapy is by seeing that, okay, you're trying to survive right now. I mean, this this is a traumatic situation. And so this shame is a survival resource, but now we need to shift it from an unhealthy resource to a healthy one, right? And this is where I believe therapy and coaching is definitely needed to help navigate that healing process. Yeah, very well said. And and so you do believe that individual therapy can help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because like we said, trauma, I mean, a lot of people may not think, oh, you, you found out he was cheating or this or that. How is that traumatic? You know, um, it is. It just is. I mean, it's very devastating and it's very it's a very serious state to be in. And it, it just requires great support to move through for so many reasons. So unburdening this shame um, is an intense, in part of the healing, overall healing. You know, there's so many parts of the healing, but as we're specific to talking about shame, and a trained therapist can allow for a safe, non-judgmental space to work through it and help you regulate your emotions, which is important. So, and often, you know, people want to push down those feelings. They don't, it doesn't feel good, <laughs> you know, but when we push things down or try not to look at them or, you know, that just it makes things worse. Delayed healing can actually turn into post-traumatic stress disorder if not attended to. And um, so individual therapy is almost a must, in my opinion, to prevent or lessen symptoms of depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, even your physical health that can be, it begins to deteriorate. Uh, so, yeah, avoiding increased trauma symptoms, it's, it's definitely important to seek help, you know, sooner rather than later. And let me add a little side note, if I can. Um, okay. If the if the professional that you go to, whether it's a therapist, a coach, a pastor, a rabbi, you know, whoever, if you feel that there is blame um, coming from that person, even even if it's covertly, not necessarily outright. Um, then I think it's important to know that it's okay to either find someone else or have a discussion with that person and say, hey, this is what I'm picking up on. This is what I'm feeling. Um, Because even well-meaning helpers can say things like, what do you need to do to help him get his attention back inside the marriage? Or how often are are you all having sex? You know, things like this that can kind of tend to lead you to feel like, well, it it is something that I'm doing wrong, right? And so I think it's important to find the right professional. I obviously highly recommend an APSAS trained coach or therapist um, that's trauma-sensitive in that regard. Well, that's a good point. And, you know, APSAS does really have... Um, you know, some definite differences in philosophies from other people. Obviously, like you said, a pastor or another therapist may not directly say, hey, you're at fault with this too. It takes two people to create a problem. But he might or she might say, 
you know, well, tell me, how often were you having sex? And was, was he pleased about that? Well, the innuendo, obviously, is if you had been better in bed, um, this might not have happened. So yeah. we at Absent are very partner sensitive and would not say those kinds of things. The other thing, and we're going to move right into this, is that we at Absets do not believe that after discovery that you should ever be in full-blown formal couples therapy because there's too much individual healing that needs to happen and there's too much restoration of trust that needs to occur before you jump into couples therapy. But Couple therapy is warranted after a, a formal disclosure has occurred and mm-hmm. a good solid recovery has occurred. And some people believe that's somewhere between year one and year two. So how do you believe couples um, should, well, how, how should they consider getting into therapy to deal with shame when, they've, um, when they're ready for it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, at the beginning stages, and when we say beginning, we're not talking just a few weeks after or even a few months after, right? It's it's a long, long beginning stage of healing. Um, it's that's not the place. That's not the time for couples counseling because it's not a couple's issue, right? I mean, sex addiction. That's that's not a couple's issue, right? That's a his or her the one that's acting out. That's their issue that they need to to seek help with first um, to stop the acting out because there needs there needs to be a level of safety and as long as there is continued acting out then it's not a safe relationship and so you can't move forward in trust and reconciliation without this so getting him or her to seek their own individual therapy with someone who is trauma informed and partner you know sensitive. Um, that's going to be that's going to be a huge step, um, and you know you may want to also Carol expand on the codependent model, but and why it isn't helpful when it comes to this. But finding someone that that is partner sensitive. So, and here I'll say this: there are times that I will see a couple in the beginning stages sometimes, but the only reason I do this, it's not for couples counseling. It's to help the person that betrayed their their partner to understand what the healing process might look like for their partner that's betrayed. You know, to understand that there's going to be need to be patient with all the questions that she may have or the reassurance that she will need, you know, things like that to help that that person understand a little bit more of her healing process. Does that make sense? So that would be the only reason that I would see couples at the beginning stages. And I have heard, you know, I'll have um, women in here saying, yeah, but I made mistakes in our relationship too. I wasn't perfect. Well, none of us are. <laughs> we all make mistakes and we hurt one another. Um, the difference here, though, is what we choose to do when we have been hurt. You know, um, and your partner chose to betray you. That was their choice. Um, so certainly there will be a time in which it will be important to come together and discuss relational issues. Um, I mean, that's very helpful 
but at this time, it's not a relationship issue. You know, it's a personal one. Um, and once there is, you know, there's sobriety or there's the stopping of the acting out, and like you said, this could be a year or two in, then couples counseling can begin. But even even then, you know, that's not going to be, well, what did you do to cause him to act out? You know, it's still not going to be that. It's going to be the communication skills, the past hurts, you know, things of, of moving forward. What is it going to look like now? You know, things like that. So. Oh, I 100% agree. And, and I know that you and I both also feel like group therapy can be an excellent resource for anybody who's experiencing sexual or partner betrayal, but also for anybody who's experiencing deep shame. Can you say a little bit more about why group therapy uh, would be so beneficial to partners? Yeah. Group therapy, and this is one thing I think that um, abscess training has, has helped me see so much, but group therapy is probably one of the most healing avenues for overcoming betrayal trauma and shame. I'm going to to quote another book, but it's by Harper and Hoops, and it's called Uncovering Shame. And they say that intimacy and mutual sharing are incompatible with hiding and covering shame. So even just stepping into a support group or a therapeutic group begins to lift that shame because shame feeds off of secrecy and isolation. So the minute you, you know, it, it brings the secure thoughts and feelings of not being alone. You know, you see others that understand and can relate, and you're like, oh, I'm not crazy. What I'm thinking and feeling is normal. Um, so, yeah, I encourage everyone to seek a group, either locally or online, um, that obviously, again, doesn't use that, um, codependency model, but um, there are a lot, of, a lot of amazing groups that are run by trained abscess coaches and therapists that would be great. And Carol, I'm actually excited that I will actually be starting a therapeutic group for, for betrayal trauma recovery in uh, the coming year. So I'm really excited oh, about that. I don't have all the details. I'm hoping January, the latest February. <laughs> but I'm excited about that. Okay, now tell our listeners, how can they find out more about that online group? What do they need to do? Yeah. Okay, well, it will actually be in my office, so it'll be local. Um, but yeah, once I get all the details together, I'm going to put that up on my website, which is www.lizayoungcounseling.com. And um, I hope to get that information up soon and get that running in the new year because, yeah, just like you said, group group therapy is it's just necessary for healing. Well, and after you get that group up, why don't you think about getting a, an online group going too because there are a lot of women that really need more than what they're getting right now in terms of resources. Yeah. And you're an excellent clinician. I think you've read more books on shame than anybody I know. I mean, you are a walking encyclopedia for the word I love shame. my books. <laughs> yes, you do. Now, tell us, as we begin to wind down, how does a betrayed partner feel valued again? What does she do? What needs to happen? 
Yeah. There's there's such a powerlessness, um, a hopelessness in betrayal trauma and in feeling shame. It uh, shame it keeps us from trusting ourselves because of the doubt, the critical thoughts, um, all of these things that just keep you frozen and, and feeling powerless. So the key will become will be to become empowered. And the betrayal trauma, it happened tragically to you, but you are not that, right? So becoming empowered means remembering the truth about yourself, that you are enough, you are worthy, you do matter. So one of the ways that, that I, I do this, there's, there's several things that we work through, but boundaries. That's my favorite. I love some good boundaries <laughs> um, because boundaries, and you know, it says I care about me because I'm valuable. And boundaries, that's a whole other podcast, right? But um, it's definitely something I would encourage people to work through with their therapist or coach. But um, it's crucial for healing and safety and regarding yourself with love. It helps the, um, that part of us is carrying the shame. It helps begin to shift. That again, we're, we're, the whole goal is to shift the shame into into a better way of protection where there's wisdom and peace. And so, seeing that you are capable of using wisdom to self protect through setting boundaries is going to really feel empowering. Um, another way to remind yourself of your amazingness is to remember times when you have had the experience of being confident or daring, or assertive, some point in your life, you've probably felt those things, right? So sitting with those memories, feeling them in your body, um, and knowing that your inner resources are plentiful. You know, remind yourself that the worst just happened, and you survived it. You did that. That's incredible strength. Um, And Carol, a fantastic exercise that I also love using is yours. <laughs> it's one of yours that you taught me about okay. knowing your personal strengths. You know the the one uh-huh. where you you have people. You know, so you might can speak more on this, but I just remember you one time when you were supervising and we were talking, and you're like, okay, list out all these positive positive adjectives, and I might I might have gotten to five. <laughs> like this is this is harder than I thought it would be, but it's so right, powerful. and you have good self esteem. I feel that I do. It was tricky. Um, but I encourage my clients to, you know, it's going to be a running list. You might think of some tomorrow, the next day. You just keep adding to it, you know. Um, and, again, you know, don't laugh at me. I've got another book quote. But the one of the All best right. books that I've read is by Kelly Flanagan, and it's called Lovable. And it just speaks about this whole topic of shame and feeling enough again and feeling worthy. And he says, um, relearning what is truest about you. Like that's going to be what is happening, right? A rediscovering, a reacquainting yourself with you. That you are made in the image of God. You know, you're chosen, you're his handiwork. Um, and there, there's also another quote that says, in creating you, God looked at all the possible ways his reality could be manifested 
and he chose you. Like you became the incarnation of one of those ways. So the way that you overcome shame and am I worthy enough and moving towards healing is simply by rediscovering who you are and being yourself, that that is enough. So, yeah, that's, what I, that's kind of the direction I go. Well, that's very well said. Uh, so, Liza, as we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listening audience about shame? I think, you know, honestly, we've all felt shame to some extent, um, no matter what we've gone through. Even if we, we've never been in this situation or been betrayed before, there's, there's something in humans where at some point, whether we, we realize it or not, that if we get down to the core of our identity – there is that question, am I enough? Am I lovable? You know, am I, am I going to be accepted and wanted just for who I am? Will I be rejected, abandoned, wanted? You know, I, I just think that's at the core of all humanity. And it's so, it's such, it's such good questions. But I think it's so important to wrap yourself around, no matter what you're going through, but especially this, Wrap yourself around the support system of um, groups, coaches, therapists, those that, that understand these things um, that can bring out the resources within yourself, the strength, you know, that, that can bring about that healing because um, that's just going to be the key is just shame cannot – it cannot live where there is other people, where there is light. When you begin to talk about it, it just naturally lessens. So, yeah, just surrounding yourself with those safe people. Absolutely. Liza Young, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And one more time, so people can go to your website and see what's happening, remind our listening audience of your website address. Yeah, it's www.lizayoungcounseling.com. All right. You let us know at AppSets when you um, get that face-to-face group going, and I'm just planning to see right now. We're an online group, too. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carol. Okay, thank you. Okay, so that was Liza Young, obviously, does a real nice job describing shame, a part of all of our existence that definitely shouldn't be a part of a partner's life. She had nothing to do with the sexual addiction. So don't carry that that weight. Let it drop. Drop the rock, as they say in recovery. Okay, and I wanted to also share with you, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. I've got some friends over in the UK, and they are part of the Naked Truth Recovery Project, and they wanted you to know that they are starting a group. They're putting together a um, 16-session workbook group based on my book, Help or Heal, 
and they're going to start on the 19th of November from 7 to 9 UK time. Now, that means it's five hours earlier. So it would really be 2 to 4 Eastern Standard Time. And so see if, if you... If you, you, if you're an addict, or if your husband who's an addict might want to join this online group, super affordable. Um, they're going to go through my book week after week. I'm actually going to come on and and be a part of their group for and answer questions. And this group is going to work through the exercises, share thoughts and experiences, and learn how to help their partners heal. And so I was really excited that they would put something together like that. And even though I knew 7 to 9 um, wasn't going to be our time, there may be some men that could be, do that, you know. They're in their own businesses, and, and they can uh, block out two hours for 16 weeks. So, again, go to www.nakedtruthrecovery.com forward slash workbook dash groups. Just go to nakedtruth.com and you'll be able to see the groups that they're running and you'll find the Help Her Heal series. Um, it's just, a, men, this is, this is a tough uh, topic and the more help you get with it, the better. And then you can always go to my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and buy my online course that is still $50 off until November 24th. It's an online course that teaches you how to help her heal, too. It's a great thing for husbands and wives to watch together and to do the exercises together and to be triggered together because they're healing together, both of you. So I'm over and out for today, but thanks for staying with us. And I look so forward to hanging out with you next week. And um, as I say at the end of every show, There will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one. For more information, go to apsats.org, the association of partners of sex addicts trauma specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.